I went to a church event recently with a dear friend of mine. The only real difference between this friend and me is that I'm white and she is not. We sat down and within a few minutes, someone approached us, actually they approached my friend, not me, and asked if they could see her ticket to see if she belonged in the section that we were sitting in. We had fairly good seats. I didn't think anything of it. We showed the tickets, moved on. And then two hours later, the same thing happened. And I was forced to admit something really uncomfortable that I didn't want to admit, I'll be honest, which was that something else was at play here, that there was a reason that this kept happening to my friend and not to me. The reason I'm telling you this story is because today we are going to talk about race and racism, even among people that share the same faith. I'm joined by Zandra Vrains and Laurel Day, two friends who have forged a bond over sitting in some uncomfortable places talking about difficult topics. I'm Erin Hallstrom, and this is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we talk about what it means to be all in with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Xander and Laurel, thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you for having us. So let me introduce you to our listeners who may not know you. Xander Vrains is a popular multimedia personality and is the co-author of SistersInZion.com. She also most recently is producer on the Jane and Emma movie. Laurel Day is the Vice President of Product and Consumer Experience at Deseret Book Company. Now, the reason I wanted to talk to you both is because, as I referenced in my introduction, topics of race and racism can be very charged and also very uncomfortable. I often feel a resistance myself to dig into it, but you are two women who got to know each other and chose to have some of those hard discussions, especially as it is connected to your shared faith as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So do you remember the first conversation you had with each other about race? What sparked it? I feel like it very well could have been early on because part of why we met actually was because in my role at Deseret Book, we're always looking for new talent, new voices. And I started stalking um, Zandra and Tamu and their Sisters in Zion blog back in the day when blogs were a thing. And they had a radio show. Anyway, so we got together for a dinner at the garden. Yes. Um, and so we kind of talked about race immediately because um, we came up with an idea for a book um, that was actually from their perspective as black Mormons. And so I don't think it never has been a topic, Yeah, but it's also not been the topic, if that makes right. sense. It was organic, but it's always been on the table. And it's the kind of thing that you kind of know is always on the table, I think, when a white woman and a black woman choose to, like, actually create a friendship, which is what I also feel like has happened. We had a reason for work to come together. We had a reason for a faith to come together. But you choose, I think, to go beyond those boundaries and actually become friends. And I feel like that's what we've done, right? Absolutely. We're friends, right? We are friends. <laughs> we don't have shared necklaces. Definitely yeah. friends. Yeah. We don't have a shared necklace. She doesn't have half the Not heart yet. and I have the other. Not yet. But that's coming. Maybe after today. <laughs> well, I guess you were continuing in your yeah. in your professional, but when did it become more than professional? I think for us, um, I think it became more than professional when we really did start to become develop a friendship and and it's actually different than a friendship in a lot of ways it's like a sisterhood because it's not like Xandra and I hang out socially all the time and and I mean she lives in Boise and I'm in Salt Lake um 
And frankly, it's not like I'm sitting around looking for ways to hang out with anybody these days because I just feel like I'm so busy. (laughs) But it feels like it's more of a sisterhood. Mm -hmm. We we talk about that more than even being friends. Um, So I'll speak to this and then Zandra will obviously have her own perspective. But I feel like um, I knew early on that I needed someone like Zandra in my life as a sister because um, I've, you know, lived in a lot of different places. I've never like isolated myself from people of different backgrounds. I think the challenge is just by virtue of being a Latter-day Saint and living in Utah, which I've done long enough now. um, Sometimes you do start to get a little isolated in the diversity of your relationships. So I had a sense early on that um, my life would be blessed by developing a relationship with Zandra um, just because our backgrounds were different in lots of ways, not just because of the color of our skin, right? Yeah. You know, I'm a really introverted person, and so I don't make friends very easily. And um, my, my, my social, my real-life friendships are very small. I think for me, um, Laurel was a person that I – the more honest I was with her, the more I trusted her. And um, and I thought, okay, I can be myself until I don't – I think it just – I just turned around one day and thought, oh, I've let my guard down around this person. And as a Black Latter-day Saint, I think we spend so much time um, in, like, a version of ourselves that is not relaxed. When we're at church, we're not – as culturally loose as we would be. And so for me, it was when I noticed that, oh, I'm like speaking abonics around Laurel. <laughs> and sometimes defining. Yeah. And and she and, and some yeah, you know, and you you realize that you're you're very relaxed around this person and you don't have to be in that state of I mean, it's it's still myself. It's just not a free self, and yeah, I'm very that's free so around interesting. the world. So that feeling of not being able to be completely naturally yourself, right? Is that that's something you feel a yeah. lot in church? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people say uh, African Americans, black Black Americans specifically, we say acts instead of ask. I can say both. But we say the sacrament prayer all the time in our church, and the word ask is in it. When I hear the word acts, it, it goes either way. I know what they're talking about. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dialect switch for me. But I've been in places where I've seen um, a black deacon be re- have to repeat the sacrament prayer over and over and over again. And um, so I've learned... Okay, in this place, just say just just say it the way they're comfortable with. And so if I slip, it could be seen as a mistake or something that you'd have to repeat. And so you learn to kind of switch. Yeah. (laughs) You know, one of the interesting things about I think some of the conversations we've had, I think there's a whole lot of members of the church who go to church and don't feel like the real version of themselves. Yeah, it's true. But I think when you go and you have a different color of skin or a different marital status or a different whatever, you attribute 
that feeling to the thing. And I'm not saying that it's not at all. Like I have no doubt that Xandra has a different experience at church because she is a black member of the church in a predominantly white area than I would in the same, given the same circumstances. But I actually think, and we've had this in conversation too, there's so many things that being a member of the church, there's so few of us that fit the quote unquote mold that I think a lot more of us have the same feelings than not. And we attribute it to the thing instead of realizing part of it is just the community of, you know, it's interesting. Um, and then, and then you though have an example like what Xander just gave that's very specific culturally. And so I'm not diminishing that at all, but it just struck me when you said that I thought, yeah, how often do I go to church and don't feel like the truest version of myself Mm -hmm. at church? And what a shame because that's probably where I should feel the most free. Yeah. Yeah. Like the fear to be totally comfortable with. Yeah. Or to actually ask the question you want to ask or even give the answer you actually really do feel, but maybe it's not, it's going to give people a reason to judge you for saying that answer Mm -hmm. or whatever. Right. So was it ever hard to have this conversation? Do you ever want to stop talking about race with each other? (laughs) I always want to stop talking about race. (laughs) That's fair. Um, <laughs> we won't let you. Yeah, no, I, know. I know. That's the problem. <laughs> it, and that's also, be, it's just my personality. I'm just a very uh, guarded person. And um, I never, ever talked politics, social issues in a public platform before. It was always conversations that I had with very intimate circles. And so it's not that I didn't talk race. It's just that I didn't talk race with um, loose acquaintances. So I think that that was probably harder for me. And, and Laurel and I, um, know each other as well with my writing partner, Tamu. Laurel and Tamu have a affinity for, um, subjects that, that I just, I listen to, I observe, but don't typically get into. So, um, I love to listen and I love to observe in situations like that. But I would say that that it was it was a little difficult for me. And I actually Xander taught me a really powerful lesson. And I think we had something happen between us that actually could have been a riff. And I don't know if you remember this, but this I don't know, it was probably a year and a half ago. I posted something on Facebook about um, that was that was about race and the church and making the connection of how Mormons were persecuted you know, at one time. And so Mormons of all people should better, better appreciate the black experience. And it was my first time posting about race on social media. I have a lot of diversification (laughs) in my world of political parties and, you know, people who are, who identify as LDS and people who don't. And anyway, um, I was getting on a plane and some comments had started to come on and Zandra entered the conversation, which she had never done before on my social media, and responded with something that was so articulate and so smart and so, like, calm. And I, I was just – and it was actually an answer. We can talk about that later. But it was an answer that has stuck with me. And then somebody else commented as a comment to Zandra, and I started to see that there was, like, some tension coming up. And because I was getting on a plane, I got nervous and I deleted the thread. 
because I just didn't want this conversation to happen between people I love and me not be there. And I hurt Zandra by doing that um, because it took a lot of courage for her to enter the conversation. And um, it was um, it was my attempt to actually like protect her. But for her, it was me shutting down a conversation that she finally had the courage to enter. And we ended up having a really like bold conversation after that, which I'm so grateful for because Xandra could have just dismissed me as another white friend who doesn't want to enter hard spaces with her. But instead, she gave me the benefit of the doubt and gave me a chance to like, A, apologize and B, explain why I had done it and then C, do it differently the next time. Um, and, and, you know, the thing that I love about that experience is that I think too many of us have a hard thing happen and then we just decide, oh, this is too hard. Yeah. And Xandra could have decided that that day. It, she would have been so justified in doing that because I did, in essence, betray like the trust that she and I had. Social media is tricky anyway, but mm -hmm. it was a powerful lesson for me. And I don't even know if we've talked about it since then. I don't think we have. But I need you to know, honestly, that was that was a really profound experience for me, not just in a relationship, but also in this space of like trusting each other that we're going to figure this mm -hmm. out, even when it's hard. Because I think it's hard, even with as well as we know each other, sometimes we still, there's still hard things. And right. I love that we're both all in. You know, like we're both willing to yeah. talk about it. I, I I will say that, you know, I've had that experience. And, and what I always feel is that for the for the marginalized person, whatever it is, whether you're the single woman in a conversation with married mm -hmm. women and you take yourself and you're like, OK, I'm going to try to explain to them what it is. It takes so much out of you and takes so much energy. And then when those conversations get um difficult or they feel tense or even contentious and people delete them it feels like all your work is gone for the most part what I've done is I'm like that's why I don't get involved in these conversations and I get it like, yeah I get why you wouldn't based on just that one instance of us together. right yeah. and I just move and I move on I'm and I just am like yeah I'm I'm gonna be this type of friend with that person I'd already developed a relationship with Laurel where I felt like I guess we're just gonna see I'm gonna tell her how it made yeah. me feel and we'll see. And for me, those are the moments where, where I say, like, I step my toe in and see how it goes. See and if it's worth it. Exactly. And because I've, I've done that sometimes with people that I think I'm good friends with. And then they're like, well, I, ju I just didn't want to do it. And they don't understand for me what was what showed the strength of our friendship that was that she was willing to hear my perspective and. That was even just that was a different experience than I'd had that someone said, oh, wow, let me even hear how this was different or significant to you. And so those experiences with Laurel have been really why it just keeps going, not because we get it right all the time but because we can at least tell each other that we're not getting it right. Well, you've proved to each other you can trust each other. Right. Social media is such a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. It's really tricky. Although I also think it's important to raise your voice there. But I think as a lot of people, a lot of people like me feel this nervousness of stepping into it and saying the wrong thing or, or having people that you know 
start saying the wrong things on your on your post and how you police that. Xandra, you recently, or I don't know how recently it was, maybe six months ago or something, did a fairly long Facebook Live. <laughs> if by fairly long, you mean three hours. Three hours. It was a three-hour church, but you're welcome. I'm the reason why church has been cut short. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I'll have to tell you. So we're connected on Facebook, and I watched it, and I didn't want to watch the whole thing. But, but I watched it because I felt like it was, it was one of those moments where I felt like it was, it was important because you were hurting about something. And, and what is, so I guess the the question I have from that is what is the best way that you can feel that support from people? Is it just sitting Mm -hmm. with you? Is it helping? Is it saying things? I mean, what's, what's the way that you wish People who weren't in your, who don't have your same shared experience Mm -hmm. would engage with you to help support you. Can I ask a clarifying question? Did you not want to watch it because it was so long or because it was making you uncomfortable or? Um, Because, no, I mean, I wanted to watch it. Let me me be clear. But part of it was the length. But the second part of it was after about probably an hour into it, I, it was hard because it hurt. Yeah. And I saw someone who so sincerely was in pain and it's hard to sit there when someone's in pain, Mm -hmm. right? It's hard to do that. And so it's easier to just, you know, I don't know, go back and play candy crush. People still play candy crush. (laughs) I don't. They don't just you. (laughs) I play something else. No, but you see what I mean? Like it. So anyway, that's my, yeah, I think exactly what you described is what happens in real life. You're just so uncomfortable and people want the discomfort to go away. So if, I mean, you know, if I make a comment um, in church that makes other people uncomfortable, then the natural response that they have or the initial response that they have is like, oh my gosh, I just want to be comfortable again, which is usually dismissive. They don't want to talk about it. So how can we get this com- this topic off the table so I can feel comfortable again? And I think all of us have to learn how to sit in discomfort. We really do. Um, specifically, as Latter-day Saints, we believe that um, we have something called the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is uh, our term for the Holy Spirit. And another name that scriptures has for him is the comforter. And, you know, for me, I'm like, if God gives us a comforter, obviously he intends for us to be uncomfortable. Hmm. And it's the comforter's job to restore comfort, not our job. It's our job to sit there and engage and believe that we have this um, power that is going to come in and restore comfort and and will and will sort that out. Um, so for me, I think the first step how people can can support anybody that um, feels like they're in pain or they're hurting is being willing to be uncomfortable and at least here. Um, and it's I know it's really hard because uh, it's hard. I've been uncomfortable before, too. But the minute people are trying to get comfortable again, you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said anything. Or you feel <laughs> or it, it increases the pain because their comments that they're making are 
dismissive and you feel like no one gets me. And um, and so I, I just think people have got to be willing to sit in uncomfortable spaces sometimes. For me, what was is so unique to, to our doctrine is that we believe we get the gift of the Holy Ghost. And people always ask me, like, what, like, you guys think that you have something better than other people or, like, only you guys get stuff. Here's the thing. We made a specific covenant, which was that we would bear and mourn and comfort. It's so hard to do. And we covenanted that we would do it for the whole world. That's like a huge thing. I believe that we get the gift of the Holy Ghost because we took that covenant on. And when you're bearing and you're mourning, you literally need constant companionship. I don't just need him to come in and tell me like, oh, don't go to that party or don't, you know, don't do this thing or, hey, this is truth. I need him constantly because I'm doing this forever covenant to bear and mourn. And I, I need that power with me to be able to do that. And I wish as members of the church, we would tap into that so much more because that's our doctrine. We believe we got the constant companionship and we're like not utilizing if, you know, the Holy Ghost has got to be up there sometimes just going, hello, tag me in, tag me in. (laughs) All right, tag me in. Hey, tag me in. Because, you know, we're like running around like, oh my gosh, it's so uncomfortable. It's whatever. Like, hello, we we have this this power that it says, I will restore the comfort. Don't you worry. Go in, engage. I'm with you. Not just sometimes, not just on Sundays, constantly. So I love that about our doctrine. I love that about um, needing the gift in order to do the covenant. Because if you haven't covenanted to do it, you don't need the gift constantly. And we get that immediately. The minute you're baptized and you make your baptismal covenant, you get the gifts of the Holy Ghost because you need it the moment you make that covenant. Okay, so let's get uncomfortable for a minute. What what does racism look like at church in 2018? Um, In 2018, nobody is coming to my ward house burning crosses, wearing hoods. Um, For the most part, you're not hearing overt racial slurs. And I think for a lot of Latter-day Saints, that's what racism is. So if that's not happening, then we're all better. And also we have no policy banning um, black members from specific, uh, from full membership in the church. So therefore, if you don't see those specific things, that's not, then there's no racism. But in in 2018, racism looks like saying things that are what you would call microaggressions. They're not overtly racist. They're not, like I said, racial slurs, but they still have racial connotations. So if someone says to me, um, keeps commenting that they really liked when I wore my hair straight and over and over again, like I liked when you wore your hair straight or this has happened to me in the church directory. You should take your picture over again because I really loved when your hair was straight. Well, my, when my hair is um, in its natural state, that's an identifier of my racial identity. And for someone to keep 
saying they liked me better with straight hair. Um, no, they didn't say the words black. They didn't say the N-word. They didn't even bring up race, but it has those racial connotations. Um, it looks like dismissing um, when someone tells you that something has happened. You know, I've, I, I'm with youth a lot. Someone will say, especially in youth settings, someone used a racial slur. The adults don't know how to deal with that, so they'll say, just don't talk to them or, um, you know, you're a child of God. It doesn't matter what people tell you. Not wanting to actually correct what's what's happening. Um, or even as recently, I mean, Xander had the experience of um, being in church. I hope it's okay I'm telling yeah, you this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being in church and someone talking about the curse of Cain. And Xander trying to correct them with the Gospel Topics essay, by the way, and having it dismissed because it's not seen as an official church publication, which is ridiculous. Right. So, I mean, it's the subtle things she's talking about, but it's also like the more blatant, obvious things where we're holding on to old ideas, holding on to old beliefs, and not accepting that things have actually changed and are different. Yeah. Yeah. So why do you think we resist hearing that these things are happening? <laughs> uh, you know, there's a great line in the Jane and Emma movie where Jane says, um, and I hope I don't slaughter it, but she says something like the saints in Nauvoo like to think or aren't as different from the rest of the world as they like to think they are. And I think that's true in our church culture. We like to think that because of our covenants And because of our additional understanding, because of the restoration scriptures, we like to think that we're somehow, quote unquote, better off than the rest of the world. And I think we're also, you know, the church is also a place for sinners and a place for people who need grace. But none of us want to see it in ourselves. I mean, racism also looks like, in my mind, telling a story in Sunday school and mentioning your Asian friend when the fact that your friend is Asian has literally nothing to do with your story. So you're either saying it to say, Hey, look at me. I don't just have white friends (laughs) or you're saying it for some other reason. Um, I've heard it. I mean, I hear people say something like, you know, she, she's Mexican, but she's really, really fill in the blank. Like, I think we, I think there are things like that that are said that we, we just don't even think about the implications of how that sounds and what we're actually saying, what that identifier means. So going back to that comment that Xander made on my Facebook page, it was about the idea of being colorblind. So someone had said, well, I'm colorblind. And, you know, we hear that all the time as if it's like the noble way to look at race. Yeah, and I just heard said, it recently. And yeah. Xandra said, which I love, she said, I need you not to be colorblind. I need you to see my black skin to like fully appreciate and understand my experience and my challenges. And I that really truly was a paradigm shift for me because I thought my goal was to become colorblind. I thought that was the goal. And Xandra helped me realize, nope, that's not the goal. I need you to see this. So on one hand, we need to see each other's differences that make things hard. And on the other hand, we need to not be calling them out when it's not relevant to the discussion. So talking about uncomfortable, I think that's hard. I think that is a tricky space to show Zandra, I see you and I get it. And, oh, wait, but this was the time when I wasn't supposed to. Like, this is the time when I wasn't supposed to bring it up. Like, that's hard. It's tricky even for 
for me who I feel like I have the benefit of having a connected, close, intimate relationship with a woman of color, I still get it wrong. And so, of course, it's uncomfortable. And of course, we all, I mean, we're going to get it wrong. And we need to be okay with that, I guess. We have to be okay with getting it wrong because um, that's how we learn. That's how we grow. And um, I think that it's what's really hard is that people love to focus on intent. I didn't intend to say something mm-hmm. mean. I didn't intend to be racist. I didn't intend to make you feel bad. But um, as members of the church, our goal is to look at our impact that we're having. And so even if my intent is not to hurt your feelings by the thing I said, if my if the impact I had on you doesn't match the intent I had, don't I need to change the way I went about it? So if I say, I actually wanted you to feel loved, and you say to me, yeah, well, that actually made me feel isolated. And then I keep saying to you, yeah, but I intended for you to feel love. So I'm going to keep saying this phrase or doing this thing because I that's my intent. And you keep saying to me, hey, that's not the impact it's having on me. I have to change my engagement so that the, my action actually matches the impact that I'm having on you. We, don't, we struggle to do that. We want people to just go off of the intent that we had. And that's not, that's not Christ's way. You know, you know what I mean? Christ came and he said, I'm going to show you the impact I have on people by doing things differently than the way you guys have been doing it right now. And he went around the world and showed and went around Jerusalem and showed people that. And that shook people up. They kept saying, no, you don't do that on Sundays. No, we don't. Do. And he kept saying, yeah, but the way you're doing it, your engagement is not matching the impact we need to have on people. So that's really hard for us just as human beings. We well, want, it requires a yeah. massive amount of humility. Yeah. But I cut you off. Go ahead. No, Sorry. no. And I think we want the, we want the, we put the onus on the other person. Yeah. And so if someone says to me, um, I touched your hair because, I think it's really cool. That was my way of showing you, like, I actually think black hair is cooler than white hair. And I say, yeah, but the impact it has on me makes me feel like you don't respect my personal space. Like you, um, like I feel like I'm on display. Like I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they keep saying to me, no, that's, that's, but that's not what I meant. You know, and and they don't want to change they don't want to say you know what i didn't intend for you to feel that way but now i know that that's the impact i'm having on you let's talk about how we can engage better so that our, my you know my intent and my actions line up that's that's what we've got to do oh, I, I think that, that connection between intent and impact is like perfectly said <laughs> yeah. and it explains it actually in a way that i mean even yeah i just think that's Perfect. And its application is in everything, right? In every relationship, in every situation. Um, Brilliant. So what's our responsibility to correct people? And I mean, there maybe are there different responsibilities between someone who is white or someone who's a person of color? Because I don't think all the responsibility should be on you, Xandra, for Mm -hmm. example. But we kind of tend to put it on you, I feel like. And so what's all of our responsibility? 
I'm going to say everyone's responsibility starts with their circle of influence. So I'm, I'm going to give a, a different example where I would be the person that doesn't understand. Okay, if someone says something in my family that's homophobic, it is not the LGBTQ plus's person responsibility to correct my family and convince them that they're a person that deserves respect. Mm-hmm. It's my I have the I have the 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 better connection. I have the ability to speak to my family in a way that they already trust me. And so it's my job to go in and say, "Hey, what you just said right there, that's that wasn't okay." And let me tell you why. And you know that I love you and um, and you know that we're always going to be family together. But I need to explain this to you. And the reason is, is because I'm the one that should be having the patience with my family. I'm the one that should be going the rounds if that if my family's going, no, but it's OK because of this. If I if I let the person that got hurt have to do that. I'm deepening their hurt, you know. I'm requiring yeah. them in that really vulnerable moment to feel all of this defensiveness that's going to come at them. But if I'm there and I see that, I get to be patient with my family. I get to hear the the asinine things that they might say and shield this person from it and walk through that and muddle through that with them. And I'm the one that has the 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 trust in the relationship to be able to to do that um i think sometimes what we tend to do is we'll, we'll say like let me get my one gay friend in here <laughs> to go can you explain to my family why this isn't okay sure um now if i have trust with that person i can say okay i want to talk to my family about this could you could you help me understand some things that and you go one on one and then you take that back to your family. So our our circles are of influence and our places of influence are our 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 responsibility. If a if a non Latter-day Saint is offended by something a Latter-day Saint said, it that's my community. I go in there and I wrestle with my community and say, look, we got to talk about what happened. And my community can let their guard down because I'm one of them. And so we can have this difficult conversation. I don't have any expectation that this person has now got to go in and, and do battle and, and do and do all that. So um, and it allows us to give grace when it's when it's me. I get to say like. I know my mom's not like an insane person. And I know that if she really understood this, that she wouldn't say what she says. So I can go in with that. But but the other person doesn't need to be a part of that. You know, we don't need I don't need to say, hey, my my she didn't mean it like that. It reminds me a little bit of that. The airport slogan, like, see something, say something like if you're if you're aware enough to see that it's happening to hear it and to realize that it's wrong, you're obligated because you have more knowledge. I mean, we believe that doctrinally, right? When you have more knowledge, you have more More responsibility. responsibility. Mm -hmm. I think there are oftentimes many well-intentioned people not thinking about the impact. In a classroom, for example, 
when something is said and we're all like the ones that are going, ugh. But what do you do? Do you call the person out in front of the entire Sunday school class? Do you wait till after the Sunday school class, pull them aside? Like it's it's hard to know, I think, in that moment what to do. And that's when grace, I guess, has to come mm-hmm. in. Grace on behalf of the person who's sitting there that's feeling, I don't know. But I do think we don't do it enough. Yeah. We don't come to the defense enough of the person who's feeling marginalized, whatever the situation is. And I, for one, want to be better at that. And I feel like I at least am aware that I need to be better. And maybe that's the first step. I yeah. I think awareness is great. I think that recognizing that we all have um, we all have blinders in some capacity, you know, And I also think just being willing to recognize that we can all literally be in the same place and have 100% a completely different experience Mm -hmm. and it all be true. Mm -hmm. So that's really (laughs) hard, like, especially in congregations, like someone might say, I had this really hard experience with the bishop and then the rest of the word goes i love the bishop i I, i've never had a hard experience he's a really great person the bishop (laughs) could be a really great person to me and then a really rude person to someone else i could be a wonderful person to everyone in this room and someone could walk in here and tell you about a negative experience they had with me and it could be 100 percent true we've got to remember like It's so nuanced and we've got to listen to those experiences. And it's okay to say, wow, I've never had that experience with this person. But what we tend to do is just jump in there and get super defensive and like, well, I don't, he must've meant something different. I've never heard him say anything like that. We may not have, but we still need to let that person share that experience. Yeah. I've experienced that a lot where you have someone that tells you, oh, this thing happened to me and it was super racist. And my immediate response is, Oh, are you sure? Right. You know, and and instead, maybe the response should be, "I'm li- I'm hearing." Oh, tell me more about right. how that made you feel. Yes. Oh, let me understand that. Mm-hmm. Let me try and understand you better. Right. And coming from a place of empathy yeah. before we come from a place right. of telling you what what's mm-hmm. what. So let's talk about Jane and Emma. Why make that movie today? You know, I think one of the beautiful things about Jane and Emma the movie and the making of the movie is that. Um, the making of it was the movie in terms of we are still having the same challenges, the same conversations, the same difficulty as was in Nauvoo in 1847. So maybe things on paper have changed, but I, I think this process has reconfirmed in my mind the importance of like what we are actually here to learn because I think every dispensation and every generation within that dispensation is here to learn how to love each other. And so the issues might fluctuate and the society and the culture might change, but the issue is still the same. And we have reasons to be divided. And we can either choose to let those divisions make us not love each other or we can figure out how to love each other even with those divisions mm-hmm. and those things that are part of just the natural human experience. Yeah. And it's it's hard. I mean, when you know, with the gift of the Holy Ghost, when Moroni says, pray with all the energy of your heart that you may be filled with this love, 
I, I don't find anywhere else in the scriptures that we're told to pray with all of the energy of our heart for anything else. But and love. that lets me know, guess what? This is going to be hard. Yeah. Actually, loving each other is the hardest thing right. you're going to be asked yeah. to do. So you better pray with all the energy of your heart to do it or you're not going to be able to make it. And we have to want it that badly that we're really willing to have humility, get on our knees and say, I can't do this. I, 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 my heart cannot change. But I trust that you can change it and I'm ready and I'm willing. But it is the challenge of mortality. I I am more and more convinced (laughs) that we're given gender and race and marital status and economic – like whatever those things are, we're almost given those things so that we have something to like force us to change our paradigm and learn to love each other. Otherwise, Heavenly Father could have made us all the same, Mm -hmm. way easier – and still had a mortal journey, right? And still learn to somehow become like him. Nope, we couldn't have. Yeah, he realized you actually can't learn to become like me unless you have all these things that clearly make divisions, right. and you learn to overcome them and love mm-hmm. anyway. And, and I, the, I just think that's there's amazing. peace in it too, though. So much peace in because it. Jane and Emma. What it does for me is remind me that we don't have to reinvent the wheel we're not like i think sometimes we think of it like how do we figure this out like this is going to be so hard because no one's ever done it before the piece in this is like we have sort of a map Mm -hmm. of like showing that we did this at a really divisive time Mm -hmm. especially in america and in our church and two women were able to do it it fills me with hope because i'm like i'm not making this up or having to figure it out i just need to pick up the mantle that they where they left off and carry on that knowing that there's four mothers in the work that showed us the way gives me a lot of peace Mm -hmm. and hope what have you learned from each other a lot (laughs) (laughs) i think i've learned more about myself um in through my relationship with Sandra. I've learned more about my ability to listen and more about my ability to understand. I'm someone who I'm pretty quick to have an answer to things. And this has been, um, we've had conversations and topics where I don't have it. I don't have the answer. And I've learned that I'm actually capable of listening and being okay that I don't have the answer, being okay that there isn't an answer sometimes. Um, and I have, I've learned a lot about, um, faithfulness. So I so appreciate Xandra's commitment to, um, just stick in for the good fight. Cause, um, I've, I've watched her have to battle some things and it's, it has renewed my commitment to what it means to be a Christian and what it means to honor my baptismal covenants um, with Zandra and just even in my own sphere, like in my own place. But I'm, I'm kind of always amazed at people who have a hundred reasons to walk away and they choose to hang on to the five reasons they don't have to walk away or the reasons they can't walk away. Mm-hmm. And in my own life, I sometimes can be a walker. If things get too hard, I can walk really quickly and I've I've appreciated that piece of it too but I I just I love what I've learned about myself and what I've learned about what it means to be a sister Mm -hmm. 
because I truly, I feel as close to Xandra in a sisterly way as I do my own. I feel like, Laurel, I've learned a lot about myself. I think that um, I'm always trying to protect myself and protect others. And that that makes me um, decide really quickly who to let in. For Jane and Emma, while Tamu and I were doing the research, um, it's because of Laurel that we're at the table. And if someone would have said before, like, Laurel, this white girl who works with uh, at Deseret Book, wants to do a movie about some black people, I would have said, well, we should sh- probably not them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would have been wrong. And she has been the person in this journey that has commiserated with me, cried with me, and fought for me. And I couldn't have had the the insight to have picked her to be in that journey with. I really had to be open. And so this idea of, we talk about this a lot on the Jane and Emma Project, of letting unlikely friendships in, it is so vital. You cannot look at a person, you can't scroll their Facebook feed, you can't look at the people they hang around and make assumptions about people. You have got to let yourself have experiences and then build relationships on the experience that you're having. What does that mean to you to be all in to the gospel of Jesus Christ, even amongst all of this difficultness? I would say all in for me means being where God asked me to be. And sometimes that's in really difficult places. And when I'm all in, it also means that if I'm here, I'm also doing what he asked me to be. Because there's one thing, being here and and being disconnected. Okay, I'm here, God. But And for me, that doing is is that baptismal covenant piece, which is to to bear one another's burdens, to mourn, to comfort, to take upon me his name. And so if I'm going to be here, that means that I'm here to to do those things for other people. It's the beauty of um, people ask me what's the best thing about your church, and I always say that um, it's a community that has covenanted, promised God that they would bear my burdens, comfort with me, mourn with me. I would do the same to them. I didn't just promise you. I promised God that I would do that for you. And so I'm dedicated. That's what keeping covenants is. That's the beautiful thing about my church, my gospel, my community. Thank you. Just simply for me, we either believe that all are alike unto God or we don't. And I feel like I spent a lot of my life being a really good member of the church, checking off some boxes and doing this to-do list of things I thought I was supposed to do. And I think the older I get and the more life experience I have, I'm becoming more and more aware that really all he cares about when all is said and done is, did you love my children? And... There's plenty of times I fall short of that, Um, plenty. But I think a lot of us are going to be surprised by how important that question is after this life compared to all the other questions we thought we were going to be asked. And so for me, 
it matters because um, I really truly believe our job in this life is to get our father's heart. And, and these are the kinds of things, these are the kinds of relationships, these are the kinds of issues, these are the kinds of conversations that I think help us get that. It really, it, it really is why we're here. Yeah. And it is why we have these challenges. I, I believe that. Because otherwise, a loving God would have made this a heck of a lot easier right. for a whole <laughs> bunch of his children who go through life unloved. Yeah. And so, it, yeah, I just, I think it's, I think it is that simple and that hard all at the same time. Yeah. Because so. we think of it as something that will descend upon us when we yeah. have churched enough correctly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As opposed to something that we're actively engaged in yep. going out and making happen and in some instances fighting yeah. for. Because ironically, you can church correctly and, and not yeah, have the right heart. Absolutely. Right? So, but I think yeah. that's what we think. Like It's like I will become yep. loving by – If I go um, through the mechanics. Yes. Yep. And it will just it will descend, descend upon, upon me, me yeah. and I will see everybody – and it's no, that's work. It takes work yeah. to go and see everyone um, differently. And that's what, I mean, really, I think we should know that. It's what Jesus did, like, yeah. constantly. That was his entire ministry was going and loving people and watching him work. And they literally say he worked miracles. It was work. So all in to me means, am I willing to do the work it takes to get a heart like his and to love his children and to love my brothers and sisters and to remember that that's actually who we are? So I guess in that respect, we really are sisters. But that's, that's what all in means to me. Thank you both so much for being here, for letting us sit with you in this and hopefully for a lot of us to dedicate ourselves to sitting in more difficult conversations going forward with our sisters, our brothers, um, all the children of God. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. And thanks for the conversation. I think this is a conversation that ought to be continued in every home and every relationship we can do better. Thank you. Thanks again to Zandra and Laurel for joining us and to you for listening. If you haven't seen the movie Jane and Emma, you really should go see it. It's a beautiful film that touches on many of the topics we talked about today. And also for more episodes of All In, please visit ldsliving.com slash all in. 